The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hey everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sukov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday, January 17th, 2021. And, you know, this is my first time hearing the WGBB, the new Sports Talk music and everything. I really like it. I hope you do. On, to, on tonight's show, we have Anthony Puccio from the Association, Ike Feldman from Ithagon. But before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, which you should have already, but if you haven't, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And with that, we will jump right into it. So, it was a pretty wild week here in New York when it comes to the sports landscape. Uh, for one, as a Yankee fan, happy to see that DJ LeMahieu has been re-signed for six years at $90 million. So 15 year, 15 million a year, that's a steal. Uh, for Jets fans everywhere, we have our new coach, Robert Sala, coming from the San Francisco 49ers. And the biggest one, of course, is former Rocket star James Harden, Sun Devil, so close to my heart, is now playing for the Brooklyn Nets. And here to talk with me about that from the association is Anthony Puccio. Anthony, thank you for taking the time tonight. How are you? Andy, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Well, so we will – we'll just jump right into it. So, obviously, Harden comes to the Nets. What was the – what was the initial reaction from everybody when that – when that hit at about 4 o'clock on that – on that afternoon? You know, I, I think there was a bittersweet uh, – bittersweet kind of feeling, right? You know, there had been talks – about the Nets and Rockets in the offseason around November when James Harden did demand the trade to Brooklyn. And, you know, it kind of took some time. It was one of those things that felt like not a matter of if, but when. And, and when it did happen at 4 o'clock, uh, you know, Nets fans were kind of, you know, they were, they were happy. And, I mean, look, anytime you get a guy of James Harden's caliber, you're going to be happy. But you lose a bunch of first-round picks, and you lose two guys that were really the heart and soul of your team, you know, since 2017, 2018, you know, when they were a 28-win team, and that's Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. So that emotional connection to those players kind of, you know, left a bittersweet vibe around, you know, the Nets world. But, you know, once James Harden suited up and, and played for the Nets last night, I think those feelings were, were a bit gone, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, when you put up a triple double in your first game, that that usually helps ease things a little bit. Yeah. 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 He looked fantastic. Him and him and Kevin Durant. You know, look, it's it's Harden's first game, and he gets thrown in the starting lineup at point guard. And look, they they just look unstoppable on offense, and it comes with James Harden's style of play. Him him drawing double teams on the pick and roll, and and being able to kick it out to a, a, a Kevin Durant or kick it out to an open Joe Harris who's shooting 51% from three this year. You know, uh, the Nets really, despite having traded a couple of players that are key foundation, um, they have a roster that's built very well around James Harden and KD. And again, 
like I mentioned, a triple-double in his debut, and Kevin Durant, 42 points. And what looked like a very early season MVP candidate year for him. Uh, we're talking with Anthony Puccio from the Association. So one of the guys I... I actually think the big one here is Jared Allen being traded. They still, they do have DeAndre Jordan, but it seems like in the middle that, that, that's a huge depth piece that is no longer with the organization. How did, how will the Nets address having, having much less center depth now that Allen is gone? Yeah, yeah, this isn't a perfect team and there are plenty of unresolved issues and, and one of those issues are, yeah, the big man position. You know, the Nets have been, about a point worse on when, when DeAndre Jordan is on the floor. So, um, they, they need to address those issues. They do have Nicholas Claxton coming back from injury sometime in February, who was, showed some promising signs last season. But, um, as far as the team right now and, and what they're made up of right now, uh, I would expect to see a lot of small ball, a lot of Jeff Green at the center, a lot of KD at the center, uh, try and space the floor and, but, you know, the assistant coach for the Nets right now is Mike D'Antoni, who was the head coach of the Rockets last year and for the last six seasons. So, you know, expect to see a lot of that style of ball where they play they play small, they play KD at the five, and shoot a whole lot of three-pointers. I mean, we see, we've see we seen that the league is going to that now where, you know, everybody shoots a three, and, like, even even guys who are 7'2", seven, 7'3", seven, can shoot threes with some level of accuracy. So maybe not having a guy who's just going to plant in the middle, maybe that won't be so bad. No, I, I mean, again, yeah, that, that's that's where the league is headed. But then you have to ask yourself the question of, you know, do these guys run into the Lakers in the finals? And, of course, that's premature thinking right now. We're only 14 games into the season. But, you know, you go up against the Lakers team. You know, how are you going to cope playing against somebody like Anthony Davis? Uh, even last night, you know, defensively, they struggled and, and – the forefront of the Magic's attack was Nikola Vucevic, their big man. You know, so they're they're going to struggle against opposing teams with dominant bigs. But it's one of those trade offs where you know you'll let the postman score and and you'll let KD and Kyrie and well, if Kyrie comes back, KD and James Harden at this point right now uh, do what they have to do. And again, you kind of trade that, trade that, and take that matchup any day of the week. Uh, so speaking of Kyrie, uh, I saw earlier that he is questionable for tomorrow. Is there, what are the likelihoods that the Nets see Kyrie tomorrow night? Uh, look, Andy, your guess is as good as mine. You know, he, from his side, his camp, what they told me is that he, you know, after the whole Capitol Hill incident that he, uh, you know, he needed to take a leave of absence, that he was very upset, but, uh, after the video had surfaced of him partying with his family, you know, Nets ownership was, was fed up, you know, and, and they made that very clear to him. So, uh, right now, in terms of a timetable, I don't think anybody really knows. And head coach Steve Nash continues to update us on no updates. He, he basically says, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know when he's coming back. So the likelihood of him playing tomorrow is, is, is a coin toss at this point. And and with that, so when he does come back to play, knowing that management was upset with with the party, do we do you think we're going to see a more motivated Kyrie, or do you think we're gonna, or do you think we're going to see the opposite of that? I think the first step is making sure that you get Kyrie Irving back in that locker. You know that that that's the first question is 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 he coming back and and when is he coming back? But you know 
if, if we're going to speak on that, yeah, when he comes back, I, I don't really know. You know, I don't know if we're going to see a motivated Kyrie. Um, I don't know if we're going to see him, you know, what his attitude is going to be like because now he is, he's the Ringo star of the, uh, of the, uh, of the bunch, right? Now you have Kevin Durant, you have James Harden, and, and Kyrie's going to have to take a back seat to that. And, and I don't know if that's going to affect his play, if he's going to buy in. And, and again, when I mentioned unresolved issues for the Nets, this is one of them. I mean, it looks great. They have the most dominant big three in the NBA, but, you know, a large part of that is, is how does Kyrie Irving react to all of this? You know, and, and, does it impact him? He's never been a third star on the team. He's he's always had the range, whether he was the number one guy or the number two guy. Uh, so the big thing is going to be, yeah, how, what is his attitude like? Is is he motivated or is he, you know, kind of moping around? And and the first step, Andy, again, like I mentioned, is, is getting him back in that locker room because nobody knows if he's playing or not. You know, there it, it's very much still a coin toss. So you know, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah. Uh, so so with that, let, let's say. For argument's sake, everything's on the level. Kyrie comes back and is playing like the Kyrie everybody expects him to be. Can Durant, Harden, and Irving coexist together with their styles of play? Sorry, Andy, I missed your last question. I couldn't hear you. All right, so assuming that everything's on the level, Kyrie comes back and plays to the level that everybody expects him to. Can Durant, Harden, and Irving coexist together with their styles of play? I think I think it's one of those things. If everybody's bought into winning a championship, because at this point it's championship or bust, they'll make it work. They have again three of the best players in the NBA, three of the best scoring options in the NBA. But there's this clash in style, and, and Kevin Durant, you know, alluded to it last night. He said that you know James Harden is a natural point guard in this league, so. You know, my question is, you know, where does that leave Kyrie? Because he's certainly not an off-ball player. Um, he he did it a little bit with LeBron back in Cleveland, but again, he was the primary ball handler there. So, you know, how does that work? Because James Harden needs the ball in his hands, and Kyrie Irving needs the ball in his hands. Neither player should really be playing off the ball. They're they're, they're facilitators in the offense. So uh, that's that's the main question. KD can play off the ball. He can work in the post. He could do basically anything you need him to, but. The issue remains, yeah. You know, who's who's bringing up the rock? Who has the ball in their hands when the game is on the line? So uh, there's, there's a bit of a clash in style here and, and how these guys play, Kyrie and, and James Harden specifically, uh, because both need the ball in their hands. Yeah, I, obviously this is impossible to speculate because they haven't been on the court together yet. But let's say Kyrie does content, does become a distraction when they all play and complains that he isn't in a role that he's comfortable with, do you see the Nets then exploring a trade for him to try to recoup some of that capital they just traded for Harden? Yeah, I mean, look, at this point, it would, it would all be speculation. But, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, they, they after they saw that video, they were fed up. So I think anything is possible with Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets organization and where they head from here. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to really answer that question because the big reason and probably the main reason why Kevin Durant is here in the first place is because Kyrie Irving. Kyrie wanted to come back home. He wanted, he's from Jersey. You know, he wanted to be here. So, um, 
you know, it would be hard for them to move on from him. And quite frankly, I don't really know if anybody would take him at this point. He's not, he's not showing up for work, you know, and I understand he's a very talented basketball player, but, you know, the question remains, would, would anybody want him, you know? Yeah, we're talking with Anthony Puccio from the association. So, obviously, we saw the reaction around here where at first, obviously, shock, and then, you know, he puts up a triple-double and everyone's happy. What did, we, what did you see the reaction around the league, you know, from especially teams in the Eastern Conference that now will have to deal with the potential three-headed monster? Yeah, I mean, I think it was funny when uh, when they asked Giannis about it. He, said he was reading it off. He said, man, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, like, that's tough. You know, like, like that's a tough team to get past in the Eastern Conference. But, um, I think, I think the NBA, you know, the Nets have kind of brought the stigma around them where they're like the, the bad boys of the league. Like, uh, you know, a couple of players that, you know, fans have kind of, I would say, I don't want to say disliked, but they, they like to go after, right? They like to, Look at them as as the villains in the league, and the Nets kind of have that that with them right now with KD, Harden, and Kyrie. So, uh, I, I think looking at it from a national outlook, yeah, it's like this team is super talented, and they have all the pieces to win a championship. But uh, it's it's one of those things where it feels like everybody's kind of against them right now. And I, I saw something on on NBA Twitter, which was uh, you know Nets world order. It was kind of like the new world order. Uh, analogy so that was kind of funny i think again though they're they're a bit of the villains the brooklyn bad boys i'll call them andy uh, you know what? i like that and you should i think you should trademark that like now so at, after you get what, up the, what's that next world order or brooklyn boys either or <laughs> brooklyn bad boys either or so what, once you get off the phone with me I, I would i would call the the trademark patent office or and and try to get that done <laughs> so i I'll, I'll do the best i can <laughs> so i I know we're only 14 games into the season, and we're, we're already seeing teams get shut down because of of COVID cases and contact tracing. So, we, we've seen a lot recent over the last few years. We see a lot of load management days for superstars. With these shutdowns happening, where they're shelved for a couple of days, do you think we're going to see more load management days as games get more condensed, or do you think we'll see fewer because they've had those days off that got? thrown in there unexpectedly you know that's a good question i i guess just from my perspective i would say probably less because you know with the contact tracing and guys having already missed time because of these reasons uh, every game is important right now you know and, and who knows when you know the team might only have eight guys and then you know suddenly they're on a three four game losing streak you know it, it's one of those things where every regular season game has to be taken very seriously and not taken for granted as they have done in the past you know and again this is a shortened season 72 games um there's a little bit more parity in the nba now more than ever so nobody's necessarily guaranteed a spot so uh i would have to say probably less load management games you know i i I certainly would hope so as well for the product of the game itself and and then to follow up to that, do you think that the NBA can actually get through this 72-game season without having to shut down for an extended period? Like, like everybody thought that was going to happen during the football season, it, like like when a team had a had an outbreak that's like, okay, that's it, they're going to shut it down for a month and then they'll come back. Or like we saw in college football where the Pac-12 shut, stayed shut down until November. Do you, do you think the NBA can actually get through it like the NFL did? 
you know, I, I think they really are pushing every limit they possibly can to try and not postpone the season. Um, you know, they just added a third spot for two-way players. Uh, but I, I think they need to go further than that. I think they need to make 19-man active rosters. Uh, there's so much talent in the NBA realm. You know, you have so many NBA veterans that are waiting to get picked up. You know, somebody like a Jamal Crawford or Rondé Hollis Jefferson around the league, uh, uh, among many others. And, and there's, there's NBA talent in the G League. You know, there, there are resources and places that, you know, they've built up so much talent, especially in, a, in the era of, of, of basketball where it seems like there's limitless talent. You know, I, I believe that they should be using that if they want to avoid a postponement. But, uh, you know, looking at things the way they are right now, uh, it's hard to say that, you know, they're, they're going to go through this flawlessly. And I, I would have to say that maybe, maybe a one or two week pause might, might be in the cards. And, and Adam Silver said it, you know, they have to try and get through January and, and mid February. So, uh, we're hitting, we're hitting that point right now where it's crunch time and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, it's hard for me to see all these games being postponed and more teams and more players being in contact tracing and not believe that, you know, at some point they're not going to try and halt it for at least a week and try and regroup. And, and thus far, I think of like all the, of all the commissioners, I, I actually do think Adam Silver has handled this the best. You know, he did the bubble for the playoffs last year and I think that worked out very well for them. So I, I, um, I, I would think that you would see more commissioners try to take his approach with that. As we saw, Rob Manfred in MLB did basically the opposite of everything, and it didn't know didn't always end well. Yeah, yeah, and Adam Silver's the guy you want running it, just like you mentioned. You know, he started with the bubble, um, and even even the way they handled the scheduling, you know, little things like that. They didn't announce the full schedule. They announced the first half 36-game schedule where, yeah, if, if games do get postponed or whatever might happen uh, and they need to pivot, you know, they'll have available days. They'll be able to utilize that first half schedule to, again, reschedule games, get them back. Um, so nothing just floats off into the abyss and they're, they're depending on win percentage. But, uh, I think Adam, San, Adam, sorry, Adam Silver has handled everything very well. Uh, but, a lot of the players around the league are kind of starting to feel like this is, you know, a bit of a dead end. Like they're, uh, I think Damian Lillard said it. He, he really voiced himself. He said he feels like he's living in a box right now. And, you know, you don't want the players feeling that way. But of course, unprecedented times and, and hopefully for the NBA's sake and for everybody else's sake, things can get better. I think, you know, you don't, there's no one better than Adam Silver be in that seat making those decisions. Absolutely. We're talking with Anthony Puccio from the Association. I actually wanted to talk to you about that this publication a little bit. I, I wasn't very familiar. I started. I was looking into it when when we were talking and getting you on. So how, how did the Association kind of come to be? Yeah, I mean, look, I was, I was covering the Brooklyn Nets for seven years, and I was on the beat with them, and, and we had this idea where, you know, how could we adjust with the media landscape? You know, I think there's, um, there's a market for people that want to read NBA stories and, and have the hottest news and original reporting. 
but not in long form and not in the newspapers the way we're used to. So, you know, with the association, we, we send out the daily newsletter Monday through Friday, every day at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you get your betting odds, you get all the news that you need to know. And, and again, it's kind of that idea of, you know, forming a community and, and bringing NBA Twitter to real life in, a, in an editorial way. Uh, we do two live periscopes a week, so fans could ask all their questions. I sit there for an hour and answer all of them. Uh, and, and again, back to my point about the media landscape and how this came about, uh, when I was, when I was building this thing, it was, it was, you know, how could we deliver six stories in a thousand words rather than just one story you know everything you need to know right here in your in your inbox very easy very free so um just trying to adjust with the media landscape and give the fans exactly what they want and that's quick concise basketball news yeah i actually do like the providing the betting lines and while at this point it's only legal in certain states you know at least it gives you you know, gives you something to to think about, and for the people in those states, gives you some gives you some of the action. Absolutely, absolutely. With with sports gambling becoming legal, uh, especially with newsletters, I think I think they're key to to incorporate those. Those are the types of things that people are looking for, and we try not to, you know, necessarily use it as a, a catalyst for our newsletter. But if we highlight a game of the night or two two games of the night, you know, we're gonna. We're going to talk about it. You know, we're going to mention it. Those are the things that you want to know as a basketball fan or as a, somebody that watches the game to gamble on it. You know, the, you're, you're reading the association and you have everything you need right in front of you. So how, how do you, how do you, how are you looking to expand to keep the association as an effective media outlet when there are so many out there like traditional print and any, any audio visual outlet? What what are you looking to expand to keep the association relevant and viable? Well, I think it, you know. Again, we've only been we've only been live for three weeks, and people have really appreciated again the short form style where you do get six stories in less than a thousand words instead of reading the newspaper and, and getting the same pretty much the same stories, the same key points in two thousand words. You know, it, it it's that idea that again people could just get what they want quick and concise basketball news but yeah i mean there are of course those obstacles and there are those big companies around the league so we're hitting every market we're going on nba tv we're going on tv all around the country we're going on you know like i mentioned i run two two live twitter uh, periscopes a week where fans can ask their questions so to differentiate ourselves other than just being different editorializing our stuff um we we let the fans have a voice. You know, we 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 want their input, and we want to hear what they have. They want us to read, and and we discuss this on live periscopes, on Twitter, whatever it might be. You know, so there are certain things that separate us from the rest, and I think it's more just that idea that uh, we're trying to put our feet in 2021 and see what the consumer and the average NBA fan wants, and that goes with everything that I mentioned: betting odds, hearing their input, what type of content they want to read, and uh, having it right there for them in less than a thousand words at 3 p.m. Eastern time every single day. Uh, very easy and very, very free. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. A lot of these, these companies, and you look at somebody like The Athletic, you know, it's great content, but people don't really want to pay whatever it is per month to read their content when they could just go to SB Nation or these other sites that aggregate stuff. So, again, I, I feel it's a very unique platform 
hardcore NBA fans that, that want to read a lot of stuff but don't have the time to do it. All right. Well, Anthony, thank thank you so much for taking the time tonight. And, of course, good luck with the association and the rest of the way with the Brooklyn Nets. Hopefully Durant, Harden give you give you plenty to write about. <laughs> Hopefully Kyrie returns too. And, Andy, thank you so much for having me on that. Of course. Thank you. Okay, that was Anthony Puccio from the association. You can hit him up on Twitter at a pooch. Now he got a fun, got a really fun Twitter account. You know, I, I would rec- I would recommend following. You know, any, any anything you need for the Nets, he's your guy. And before we go to a break, I'm going to give you a quick score update from New Orleans, as we should be approaching the midway point of the fourth quarter, and we are. It is currently 23 to 20. In favor of Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and as anybody who's listened to my show over the last four years, you know I'm hoping that Drew Brees makes the comeback here and takes out the Bucks because I just don't want to see Tom Brady anymore. So we're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ike Feldman from Ike Degon, his own podcast, will be will be joining me. We're gonna we're gonna talk some UFC. Because there was a really fun fight last night, and there's a big one coming up this week out in Abu Dhabi. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit Gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of Hour 2 of Sports Talk New York here on WGBB, 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. I'm Andy Sukoff, and thank you for listening tonight. Instead of watching the football game, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Andy underscore Sukoff. You can... Hit me up with any of any takes you might have or questions. I'm always happy to answer people and really really like to engage with the fans. So anything anything you might have to say, you can find me there. So as many as many of you who listen know, I'm I'm a big fan of MMA. And after a couple week lull in the UFC, well, they they got back to Fight Island in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates this weekend for their first fight of 2021. And it was their, it was also their first fight card that they did on ABC. 
Yeah, they've been they've been on they do a lot of stuff on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and prior to that, they had been they had been on Fox. Now now they're getting to the big boys. They're they're with ABC now. That is that's just fantastic. And now as we're going to recap that from Ike got Ike Feldman. All right, so we will we will have him back in a minute. I had just a quick little phone difficulty as I just got a dial tone in my ear. So what the big fight from yesterday was former featherweight champion Max Holloway against one of the top contenders Calvin Cater. And if you didn't watch this fight, you missed out. That was one of the craziest fights I've ever seen, which had the had some insane number of strikes, and now we are on with Ike Feldman. Ike, how are you, bud? What's up, Andy? What's going on, man? It's it's another Sunday, and I'm here. I like it. How about everything with you? Uh, I'm great, man. I'm a, I'm a little offended, though. How so? Because just because you call me the MMA guy, and uh, obviously you want to know my take about last night's amazing main event between Max Holloway and Calvin Cater, and obviously to preview some of the fights coming up this coming week, leading to Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. But I'm offended that you're calling me, man. Uh, uh, Just because I follow MMA doesn't mean I I don't follow the NFL, man. This is a hell of a game. Now i got to go outside and not distract my newborn, man. I, I, I hope the uh the I don't miss a crucial play. So what's up, man? Let's get this over with. Okay, well, I, 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 I it, before 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 you jumped on, I, I I thanked everybody for listening to me instead of watching the game. So this this is the same thing. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't thank them, man. We can multitask. We can listen to your beautiful dulcet tones and watch Tom Brady try to get in the end zone. No, we no, we don't. We don't want that. That's bad. <laughs> but so to distract you from Tom Brady, hopefully not getting in the end zone. Uh, oh, it's a different team, man. It's a different team. I respect them. He's the Jordan of the NFL. I you got to respect that. I I can't do it. He, I I say I can I can I can admit he's great and still hate his guts. Fair enough. I'm a Jets fan too. This comes from a long. Uh, uh, Jets fandom on my side. So my, this, yeah, me I, me too. Me too. It, it's fun, isn't it? It, well, I'm having fun now. Now that he's not beating our team down to dust, yeah, I'm having a lot more fun. Yeah, but uh, to to jump off of Tom Brady, maybe, maybe we'll get back to him in a little bit. But obviously, last night in Abu Dhabi, uh, Max Holloway, Calvin Cater, that was one of the craziest fights I've seen in a long time. I don't know about you. Agreed, brother. And uh, if you're just looking at it on paper. Uh, it's totally one of the craziest fights. Max Holloway, uh, through the, the, the former featherweight champion, he had one of the craziest win streaks in that UFC 145 pound division. I believe it was 12 or 13, maybe 14 straight wins before he got knocked off in back to back performances against Alexander Volkanovsky. But Max Holloway on paper threw the most strikes in the in a UFC main event, a five round main event, and dude, it, you could say, oh, maybe he peppered on the outside, maybe he was playing the range game and uh, just keeping uh, Calvin Cater away with his jab and some low kicks or calf kicks. Hell no, man! Max went to work. You would have, uh, you could have said that maybe he's uh, resting on his laurels of being a former champion and one of the greatest fighters of all time in his division. 
Hell no, man. He he bounced back from those back-to-back title losses to put on a, a heck of a performance. Uh, jabs, low kicks, spinning back kicks, uh, the elbow, the, el- the 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 far elbow just went to work all night, ripping up uh, Calvin Cater's uh, uh, nose, the top of his forehead. Uh, Max Holloway did a tremendous performance, and as always, it takes two to tango. You got to give Calvin Cater, the Massachusetts native. Uh, some credit too because, dude, he took a heck of a beating. He could have uh, collapsed and fell to the canvas and looked for Herb Dean to save him from further being beaten down. But no, he hung in there and, uh, Max Holloway proved once again why he's one of the greatest fighters in the UFC. To, to that point, I have no idea how Calvin Cater didn't go down. I, I'm just watching, I'm like, I'm watching him wobble and it's like, dude, just go down. Like, you're like, I don't know how you can take this much punishment. I know, I know there's take, there's chin and taking a punch, but that was resilience bordering on, on Rocky level. Yeah, he was hanging around just like the New Orleans Saints, but as we know, Tom Brady and Max Holloway will put away their opponents. <laughs> I don't know if you just saw the touchdown. <laughs> I, I, I did not, but that does not make, that does not make me feel good. But <laughs> Breeze, just like Cater, they're both tough, man. We obviously know what happened with Breeze, uh, a couple of weeks ago with the ribs, but Cater, man, wobbled on his feet multiple times, but used that cage to kind of keep him uh, upright. And uh, he, he he fired back a couple of shots to keep Max off him. Nothing really landed flush, but Cater, man, this was a chance to see if he was going to crack that top three UFC featherweight fighters. And uh, this was a chance for Max Holloway to see if he had uh, still has it and see if he's motivated. And obviously, we got our answer, man. I-, I can't wait for Max's next fight. He should just chill, just use that Hawaiian vibe and just lay back and take it easy because he's in the driver's seat once again. I mean, once you, you... Alexander Volkanovsky, the champion, and Brian Ortega uh, handle their business. Max Holloway should step right in there. Yeah, that was my next question. Like Holloway should ha- should absolutely be getting the next title shot, I would think. Yeah, hundred percent. It one hundred percent, especially with his resume. Uh, I think in some cases, like Joanna Janjacek for winning six straight fights in the women's uh, strawweight division, or like a uh, a Jose Aldo a couple years ago, uh, with all the work that he did in featherweight, and, and now Max Holloway. When a resume speaks volumes, they can step in on special circumstances. Max Holloway does not need two or three fights to get back to a title. We just saw the performance he put on last night. That man deserves a title. He didn't just wrestle his way uh, or jiu-jitsu his way to a victory. No, man. He came out for blood, guts, and glory, and he got it. And in my opinion, he earned another title shot. Uh, we're talking with Ike Feldman. Uh, besides that fight, what... Which one was that too graphic? Did I go too much on that? The the blood, the guts, and the gore. I don't know. That just no. I I, uh, I, I I I think I think that was perfectly well put. Thank you, bro. I, I just I'm so amped up because of our new coach Rob Sala. Uh, you know he talks about he wants the defense to be violent, and I I, I think I'm, I'm taking that to my uh the my MMA space in my brain. So I hope that wasn't too much for the audience. Yeah, I I th- I, I think you'll be okay. I <laughs> I, I I've said plenty of things. Like, I've said plenty of things like that too. But, awesome, awesome. But besides besides that fight, were there any other fights yesterday that really stuck out to you? Is like that was like that was a great fight. Like either run it again, or the winner should be getting, you know, a major bump up in competition for his next one. 
The main card was fantastic, man. The co-main event was awesome. Carlos Condit, Matt Brown, UFC veterans. Carlos Condit being a former uh, title challenger and Matt Brown just being a, a savage in his own right. Uh, them two going at it was awesome. Uh, it sucked that uh, Joaquin Buckley, who this kid who had the highlight knockout of the year in 2020 and then came back and had an amazing knockout in his next performance, a bunch of overhand rights to, to finish his opponent. And then last night, I believe he lost to this kid, uh, DiCirico. Uh, I, I was barely paying attention to his opponent. I was expecting Joaquin Buckley to walk through him, and, and now all the hype's got to go to his opponent. Uh, the main car was amazing, man. It was uh, awesome. Honestly, the uh, the UFC has done a, a fantastic job of putting together the cards on a few weeks' notice, and especially during a pandemic. I do credit Dana White, but that's the best part of the uh, the Fight Island situation. You have these fighters that will fight uh, maybe five times, like a Kevin Holland in one year, and uh, get that huge opportunity to uh, step up. But the the show was thrown away for Max Holloway. I'm sorry. I, uh, I watched it three times. Uh, I'm not joking. Uh, I watched Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz twice. I uh, watched Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater three times in the last, what was it, tw- uh, 27 hours because it aired during the daytime. I- I'm just blown away by Max Holloway's performance. It should not go, uh, without more recognition that this guy had an opportunity to just not fight, uh, a Calvin Cater, a guy who was ranked below him, a guy with a lesser name. A guy who was hungry, who was well-trained, who was coming for him. Max Holloway had every reason in the world to pout, not show up, or even on the other side of that, just kind of ease his way to a victory. No, man. I don't think we should underestimate the savagery that we saw last night of Max Bless Holloway. Yeah, and I, I, there was something he said that was actually very interesting to me, that he didn't spar for this fight like, when, in terms of his training camp, where he had said, and I'm just paraphrasing here, it's like, I, you got one brain, cherish it. Do you think that you're going to see more fighters start doing that where they won't spar in leading up to their fights? Yeah, it's not the first time I've heard that. Tony Ferguson hasn't sparred in a couple of years. Donald Cowboy Cerrone's stopped for a while now. If you have the the tools and the skill and you just need to sharpen it with a couple of pad work or maybe a, a light touch-and-go session with some pads, you don't need to go to war every single week, once a week, just get bloodied up for no reason, your head gets all buzzed around from all the punching. Uh, even though there's headgear and there's thicker gloves in practice, I mean, Daniel Cormier uh, was on the broadcast last night. He was like, I don't necessarily agree with the no sparring. Maybe, uh, I don't know if you uh, uh, just watched the highlights or you were tuned in from uh, the start to the finish, but he made a point that, Oh, Max's face is getting bruised easy. Uh, maybe this is due to him not sparring. But quickly, Dan Hardy, uh, a former UFC title challenger against uh, George St. Pierre, who was also on the broadcast side-by-side with Daniel Cormier, said, no, man, if you have the skill, if you have the confidence, especially like a Max Holloway, maybe you don't need to spar. Maybe it's just... Uh, the skill is in there and you just the first time you get hits in the fight and you remember it you've done it 20 30 times in your career maybe you don't need to waste some miles or uh, waste some yeah waste some miles on your engine before the fight save everything up for the fight so i I agree there should be more fighters 
practice in this no sparring. Hey, longevity is the key to the fighting game, in my opinion. That's absolutely true, as we're talking with Ike Feldman here. Uh, so one of the big things from yesterday was Dana White talking with lightweight champion Khabib Nurmagomedov. And one of the big quotes that got me was, show me something spectacular, make me fight again. That coming from Nurmagomedov. Do you think he's actually going to fight again? 50-50. 50-50. This has been, uh, it's annoyed me. It's kind of teased me. It's frustrated me, but ultimately, I'm still, it still has my attention. Khabib, 29 and 0, one of the greatest fighters of all time. I believe he's only lost one round in his career, which was to Conor McGregor back at UFC 229. Uh, he's undefeated in the UFC, obviously. He's the most dominant fighter in UFC history. Though he's a wrestler and a grappler, and I maybe poo-pooed wrestlers and grapplers who were listening to the show because I hinted that Max Holloway wasn't born because he did not wrestle. Khabib is one of those grapplers who is not born. You have to tune in to see him fight because you just want to see how he's going to dominate his opponent. And an opponent that I would love to see him fight, and maybe he dominates, maybe he doesn't, is George St. Pierre, GSP. Those are the only three letters that should be thrown out in front of Khabib Nurmagomedov. He earned that. I don't want to hear that Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, both of whom uh, Khabib has beaten badly, he submitted both of them, rear naked choke, destroyed them, dominated them. Khabib ha- has no need to fight either of them. O'Connor wants his vengeance. He wants his rematch. He needs to write another Netflix. Do- ah, bull crap. There's only one reason why Conor McGregor and Dana White want that fight to happen is money. Khabib is about honor. He's about respect. He's about the, the purity of MMA. And in my opinion, now, I'll lose a lot of respect if he does, but in my opinion, I don't believe he's going to fight Conor McGregor again because he beat the bully. He beat the guy who was disrespectful, who was borderline racist, who talked crap about his country, his religion, and his father. He beat him down. There's no reason to go back down that nasty road. Conor McGregor, man, the only reason why he'd want to fight Khabib in a rematch, obviously, is to win and to uh, change that loss to a victory. But because of the money, that would be the highest selling fight in UFC history. The the original fight sold 2.4 million pay-per-views. The rematch, now completely on the ESPN platform, would be very close to 3 million pay-per-view buys. That's the only reason why Dana White's pushing this narrative. In my opinion, GSP versus Khabib is the only fight that matters. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. If that were to happen, I would be one of those 3 million buyers. I would I would buy that fight. Yeah, and I would have to watch it too, because then I would have to recap it on your wonderful show, brother. Oh, well, you mean you got your show to do it too? That's true. That's true. Some big things in the work too. Some big things in the work. Any anything that you can tell us, or or gonna or gonna keep it a secret? Well, let's just say a fighter who resides in the county of Nassau is potentially on board with your boy Ike. So. We will see if it comes to fruition. I'm trying to will it into existence, and uh, if it happens, it'd be uh, a big thanks to you, brother. So we'll see what happens, and obviously I'll keep you and your audience informed. 
All right. Well, I, that that is certainly big news, and I, I hope whatever it is does come to fruition. It's a big rumor. It's a big rumor, right? I'm not Adam Schefter or freaking uh, Wojnarowski over here. It's a big rumor, right? Let's let's take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but now to go back from rumors to facts, uh, UFC 257 is this coming weekend out in Abu Dhabi, and the aforementioned Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier are running it back for a second time. McGregor won the first time in 2014, so now this is six years later. Both guys have had very different career arcs since then. What do you expect is going to happen this time around? I expect it to be a longer fight. You could put all the money in the world on that. I don't expect it to be a first-round knockout by Conor McGregor. I believe Dustin Poirier, who, like you said, has evolved since that 2014 fight when he was a featherweight who looked starved and emaciated and looked angered and very emotional. I believe he's now not as starved. I believe he's well, uh, a lot more well-rounded in his skill, and I believe he's a lot more emotionally intact. I don't believe Conor McGregor's psychological warfare will get to Dustin Poirier, who is uh, a white dude from the hood. You know, even though he's a, a pretty pretty looking guy, you may think he may have had an easy come up. This guy has been through it all. He's humble. He has one of the best charities I've ever seen, uh, regardless of any sport. This guy is a very good dude. He's humble, but he's a savage and a hell of a fighter in the cage. I don't believe that Poirier is going to win. I don't believe Poirier is going to get psyched out by Conor McGregor's mental warfare. But I do believe Poirier will bring the best out of Conor McGregor. He will make McGregor earn this. This isn't going to be McGregor being a hot knife through butter and walking through his opponent like he did at UFC 246 last January against Donald Cowboy Cerrone. This is going to be Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz 2, where he's got to dig deep. He's got to get off the stool. He's got to be motivated. His coach is going to look him in the eyes and say, I got this laddie. I'm gonna go out there. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't know how to say that, but I believe Conor McGregor will have to dig deep to get this victory. And I believe he will get this victory. And I believe it will be in the championships rounds. Probably a fourth round finish, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, he may have to put in that work like, uh, you gotta put in the work on the Irish Broke. <laughs> Thank you. Don't, Thank don't, you, really. Don't, don't worry, I can't do it either. Uh, I, I, do, I do my Irish impression, but it involves a curse every, every time. But I don't think that it would bode well with the, nah, uh, probably, the probably. platform. We could do that off air. <laughs> Fair enough. And I, I'm actually I'm actually intrigued by the co-main with uh, Michael Chandler making his uh, making his USC debut and Dan Hooker. I'm I'm intrigued to see what what happens there. Man, that is going to be an excellent fight. That is going to be an excellent fight. Dan Hooker, you know, and I'm glad I'm on a, a Long Island radio station because I believe Long Islanders are underestimated for their toughness. You look at who we have represent us in mixed martial arts. Chris Weidman, champion. He defeated the greatest fighter of all time in Anderson Silva. Oh, you don't think Anderson Silva is the greatest fighter of all time? Who? GSP. Oh, another Long Islander. Beat GSP and Matt Sarah. Oh, you think Khabib is one of the greatest of all time? Oh, who's the last guy to go five rounds with him on 24-hour notice? Oh, Ally Quinta. Oh, uh, man, these Long Islanders are tough. My point is, I believe Long Islanders are the toughest people in the world. 
The second toughest are the Aussies, man, the Australians. Robert Whitaker, Dan Hooker, Brad Riddell, Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, man, that's New Zealand. Oceanic people, same region, same region. Israel Adesanya. I believe they're the toughest people in the world. Obviously, they got the pretty accent. You think of Crocodile, Dundee. But no, man, they back it up with their big knives in the octagon. Uh, I believe Dan Hooker's a savage. As much as he may look like a, what is it, Abercrombie model, he's a freaking killer. And he's going to have to be killed to to be dragged out of that octagon. And I don't think he's going to be finished in that fight against Michael Chandler. And Michael Chandler, who is a, a Mizzou wrestler, uh, I believe he wrestled on the same teams as Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren. This guy was a former champion in Bellator. He's going out, uh, left Bellator with a knockout over a former UFC champion in Benson Henderson. He's beaten a former UFC champion in Eddie Alvarez. He's faced great competition in Bellator, but is the UFC competition a whole nother level? Yes. Is Dan Hooker on that level that is above Chandler? I don't know. I think it's a fair matchup for Chandler to uh, be welcomed into the UFC. Who do I think will win? (sighs) I think Chandler edges it out because of his wrestling. But I don't think there's any finish in the fight at all. I I think it's going to be a fun fight, very technical fight. Both fighters have a lot on the line. A lot of emotion usually results in a boring fight. So give me Chandler in a three-round decision. Are Are there any other fights that you're looking forward to on this 259 card? Or 257? Uh, yikes. Those are the only two cards, uh, uh, only two fights, uh, I remember off the top of my head. Uh, actually, uh, Long Island's own Matt Frivola is, uh, open up the, the main card. I believe he's the first or second fight on the main card. Uh, I usually do, uh, my research, uh, a couple of days before, but I'm taking it card by card. Uh, yeah, Matt Frivola, Huntington's own. He's a free, Matt Frivola, uh, was it Matt Steamroller Frivola, Huntington's own uh, Matt Sarah product? He is uh, he's on the card. Expect fireworks for him. And of course, like I said earlier, Long Islanders, the toughest guys and fighters in the world. Uh, I can't wait for us to get a, a woman champion so I can say we're the toughest people. But right now, we're the toughest guys in the world. So that fight should be fun. And to go further on that, and where I would when I said fifty nine. We got Long Island's own Aljamain Sterling coming up at UFC 259 in March, going for the bantamweight championship against Peter Yan. I think he's got a good shot. I agree, man. I agree. I believe that fight is uh, the mental warfare has started uh, at least a year ago. The both fighters ran into each other at the UFC Training Institute in Las Vegas. Some words were exchanged. Obviously, there's a, a language barrier. Go Buccaneers. Go Tom Brady. Um, but I believe the mental warfare already started, and I believe Aljamain Sterling thinks he has a leg up, but I believe he'll be humbled early in the fight by just how tough Peter Yan is. Again, like I said, Long Islanders were the toughest people in the world, but at times we need to be humbled a little to earn it a little. And I think Aljamain, he may feel Yan's power or his skill in the first or second round, but ultimately I believe the Matt Sarah black belt product, Al Jermaine Sterling, Funkmaster, will get it done because of his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu. Expect him to want to strike earlier with Peter Young, the, the strong Russian kickboxer, but eventually Al Jermaine will go to his bread and butter, which is wrestling and jiu-jitsu. And I think he will grind Peter Young out, 
and he'll get the win and bring another belt to the island. So that's my prediction for that. I, I certainly hope you're right, Ike. And we got a few minutes left, and as an apology for taking you away from the fourth quarter of the Bucks game, which I believe, <laughs> which I which I believe which I believe just ended in a Tampa Bay victory. That's uh, correct, thirty twenty. So I, I want to let you have a have a minute to uh, talk about your your beloved New York Mets and all, all the fun things they've already done in this offseason, and hopefully there might be a couple more big mo- big moves coming. What so? Steve Cohen, I know he was uh, he was frustrating Craig Carton uh, a lot with the tweets about the black jerseys, about the sprinkles, uh, the back and forth with their show, and he just wanted to he wanted more walking and less talking from Steve Cohen. After the Francisco Lindor trade, holy moly! Craig Carton has been silenced. He's happy. He's enjoying it. Believe it or not, the shock jock is chilling. And Mets fans kind of got that air of pride and arrogance again, which is good. And I think the Yankees are a little, okay, okay, you know, all right, the Mets, are, we can hear you. Imagine if the Mets bring in George Springer, maybe a Trevor Bauer, and steal the offseason. Holy moly. I cannot wait for this season of baseball, man. Uh, the only thing that I'm mad about is that I don't have a PS5 and I can't play MLB The Show and be my beloved Mets uh, to play 162 game season with them because uh, I'm playing a lot of video games lately with my new board. But, yeah, besides not having a PS5, man, hell of an offseason for the Mets already. And uh, I can't wait to see what Steve Cohen does next. And I, I can't wait for the season to start. Uh, New York sports got fun again. Hell yeah, man. Even the James Harden circus. I'm a Knicks fan. Just bring James Harden in. It'll, it'll definitely be a spectacle to watch, at least from the outside. Yeah, I mean, certainly we've got, we got a lot of fun storylines here in New York now. Like the Jets seemingly hired the right guy. The Mets have their, their very rich owner who is going to in, inject a new life into the, the franchise. The Yankees bring back DJ LeMayhew, which I, I just want to say I told you so. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's just a lot, lot of good things and good vibes happening now. So hopefully they get to continue. So to keep the good vibes going, to steal a, uh, my sister came up with this. Uh, she's a single, young, beautiful woman. If there's any guys out there who got their crap together who are looking for uh, a good girl, she's available. But uh, my sister's trying to see what's going on with Mr. Rob Salas' situation. She, uh, I don't know. She doesn't follow sports, and she's like, "What's going on with the Jets coach?" And I was like, "I was like, you know who the Jets hired?" She, <laughs> she started singing Counting Crows' song. I think it's Mr. Jones, uh, the part of the song. And I'm saying this before Al Hughes steals it. The it's the Rob Sala la 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 la. I, so, I like that. Uh, credit to my sister with that. Yeah. Way, way, way to go. Way to go. Way to go, Miss Feldman. I like that. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I think, I think you need to get a, get a hold on that before, like you said, Al gets that. Oh, I put it on Twitter. I tagged him. He liked it. So he knows what's up. I'm expecting some credit. All right. Well, I thank you for taking the time. <laughs> and, uh, again, sorry for taking you away from the fourth quarter. No, it's all right, man. It's all good. I, I needed a reason to get outside. Uh, I appreciate the time, brother. All right, later, brother. That was Ike Feldman from Itigon. So thank you for taking the time to listen today. Thank you to Anthony Puccio and Ike Feldman, and, of course, to my man Brian Graves behind the glass. 
You're list- you've been listening to WGBB Sports Talk New York. Good night. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.